Welcome, welcome to the CutterCast Vlogcast. My name is Seth Larson, and on today's episode, I sit down with Zach Stewart, aka Beef. That's right, he goes by the name Beef, and we're gonna get more into that here in just a moment. Now, Zach, or Beef as he's more commonly known, is the man, the woodworking magician, the craftsman, the artisan behind the beautiful coffee table and pedestals that we have here in the studio. And we're gonna show you a little B-roll goodness of that to start off the interview. But before we do that, we have a winner to announce. That's right, there's a winner of the Canvas Cutter Sheet Feet giveaway that we are doing in conjunction with the episode that I did with Caleb Bowden from Sheet Feet. Now all you had to do is go subscribe to the Canvas Cutter YouTube channel. Make sure you're following the CutterCast Vlogcast on whatever podcast platform you prefer. And also be following Sheet Feet on Instagram. If you did those three things, you got automatically entered to win a Canvas Cutter Burrow Duffel and some Sheet Feet Custom Orthotics. So the winner, without further ado, the winner, drum roll is Eric Houghton. Congratulations, Eric. Thank you for participating, everybody else. Now, Eric, just shoot us an email at support at canvascutter.com and we will get your digits and get your burrow duffel and custom orthotics sent off to you. We also probably need to announce from the comments in the uh, YouTube watch version, a winner to win a hat and shirt the winner of that is Dan Ewing. That's right, Dan Ewing. So also get us your digits, support at canvascutter.com and we'll get you a hat and shirt sent off to you ASAP. Now, without further ado, here is an awesome story with the one and only Beef. So sit back and enjoy a little Beef Wood. guys welcome to the cutter cast i'm sitting here with zach stewart we met several years ago we'll get into that um zach's also responsible for the pedestals and the barnwood coffee table we have in the studio and we're going to get into that yeah um but first when did you get into hunting? Because you have some pretty awesome stories that I've heard and we'll, we'll end the cutter cast this episode with one of those. But when did you start hunting? When did you always grow up with it? Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad, hunt. my dad grew up hunting. My grandpa's all hunted. Where did you grow up? Spanish Fork. All right. So I'm just a local boy. Yeah. We hunted sheep, creek, strawberry. Yeah. Just if you lived in Utah County, that's where you hunted. Get your boots on, butthole. We're going to Sheep Creek. Yeah. Okay. Get the truck gassed up because that's <laughs> we're just going to road hunt because yeah. that's what everybody oh, yeah. does up there. But 
yeah, no, as soon as I was old enough to go, my dad had me going. That's we awesome. got pictures. We never had a camp trailer or anything. We always slept in the back of his old Jimmy pickup truck that had a topper on it. But <laughs> That's awesome. But, yeah, we used to have a big camp of family, friends, cousins that went. And then now as it's kind of everybody's gotten older and gone their way, and now it's just just my family that hunts together. But, yeah, Dad was a big bow hunter when, when I was a little kid. And then when I got big enough to go, we quit bow hunting. And then we just hunted muzzleloader and rifle. Yeah. That's very similar to my dad. Um, he dabbled in archery when I was young. And I remember riding in the truck. They would always have a couple guys in the back. Yeah. Right. And if they saw something, they'd either have a guy jump out and keep the truck rolling, fling arrows. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Do the, do the spot the deer on the side of the road. And then whoever's driving, they just either the passenger steps yeah. out and the truck keeps going or the driver we've done the driver a couple times yeah. and then somebody's got to hurry and scoot over and grab the grab the steering wheel in yeah. fact i've killed a couple deer doing that dude it works i mean i tested it a couple weeks ago we were up doing some glassing scouting this area and a small buck was coming down the ridge with a doe and like this spike and i was like dad keep going hopped out of the truck and whistled and they all looked at the truck and 30 yards broadside, not even looking at yeah. me, standing in the middle of the road all day long. Yeah. yeah. Works really good with antelope. Oh, does it? Does yeah. it work with yeah, antelope? Yeah, I smoked too? a, I smoked a good buck out on the, uh, oh, North San Rafael. Yeah. Yeah. A big buck, like 80 yards off the road. <laughs> I'm driving the truck. My dad spots it. And I'm like, okay, you ready? I'm slowing down. He's like, what are you doing? I said, we're going to do the deer tactic technique to it. Okay. So I, I get out of the truck and, I just about tripped getting out. We're probably going a little too fast to be getting out. But yeah. yeah, I got out with the rifle. My dad hurried and scooted over and he just kept driving and that goat stopped and just followed the truck. And I had time to, to set the bipods down on my rifle, sit down, range him. I didn't need to range him, but we just habit. So yeah. we shot him 80 yards off the road with a rifle, <laughs> walked over there and pulled him back over to the truck. It was Opening morning, too. That was the easiest hunt I've ever been on. That's awesome. That's sweet. <laughs> Same thing, though. As soon as I was, when I was old enough to, to start hunting, and there was no archery. It was all muzzleloader and and rifle. And my first year was a rifle in Wyoming, and then my next year was a muzzleloader. But that's all we ever hunted until a few years ago I started getting into archery yeah. for the first time. Yeah, but, we we did the same thing, same thing. And then... Um, I think I was like 13 or 14, no, 14 or 15. I had to be 14. Um, I kind of got interested in bow hunting. And so my dad took me over. We bought an old PSE Nova from Sportsman's and that's mm -hmm. what I had. And he would take me, but he never, never made any effort to get his bow tuned up or to even archery hunt. And in fact, we, there's a spot if, and everybody that fishes strawberry knows where Horse Creek and Haas Point is. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're coming down the road south, there's a spot where Quakies make a perfect donut shape, and that's that's what my dad and all the buddies hunted. They called it the donut, and so we would go up to the donut right there off of the bank of strawberry and bow hunt. And the, I first morning ever having the bow chasing deer, my dad's like, "Go in there. If you sit down in this spot, you'll be right under your cousin Craig's tree stand." He's like, I know it's still in there. We put it in with railroad ties and spikes. And <laughs> yep. sure enough, I go in there and there's Craig's old tree stand. So I'm sitting underneath it. My dad's like, I'll give you about a half hour. And then I'm going to come in 
and I'm just going to push a nice circle, and we'll just keep pushing the circle. He's like, because the deer, them bucks in there, they won't, they don't want to leave the quakey, so mm-hmm. they just keep going in a circle. I get sit down. I'm only been about there about 45 minutes, and I look up. I'm not even paying attention. I look up, and my dad's pushed this two-point to me, and he's just coming, and I have no idea what to do. I didn't even <laughs> attempt to knock an arrow. This deer looks up. I look up, and this, I'm not kidding. This deer's 20 feet from me, and he's booking right at me and i'm sitting right dead smack in the middle of the trail not off the side of the trail yeah, right, right in the, the middle, middle of the trail <laughs> indian style with my legs crossed not even ready and i start yelling too close that's too close that's too close and i scared that deer off and my dad comes over what the heck are you doing I'm like i didn't know what to do but we got her figured out now but yeah, after good. that that's when good. i got that close to the deer dude i was addicted <laughs> yeah uh, that, oh, yeah, was, that was awesome. a rush. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little bit different than rifle hunting. Um, well, you're kind of a jack of multiple trades. Yeah. You've done a lot of things. And I know you mentioned uh, one time when we were talking. So outside of high school, you started fighting? Like, were you a wrestler in high school? And then it led to doing more mixed martial arts or yeah how'd you get into that yeah so i wrestled on and off all through school from grade school through high school when i got into high school i didn't really take it serious and kind of goofed off and and uh but at the same at that same time through high school um i got really big into jujitsu they opened up a jujitsu school in salem and Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with that. That was way better than pinning somebody because I could choke somebody out or put them in an arm lock or a leg lock. And I fell in love with that. But growing up, we always watched the UFC fights. I had two uncles that were big into martial arts, and they would we would buy v- the, or rent the VHS after the big pay-per-view, yeah. watch those. And then we would have special pay-per-view nights where the family would get together, and we'd buy the pay-per-view and watch them. And after that... I just got I got hooked on the the fight scene, and when I got out of high school, they opened up a big gym in Orem called Throwdown. And as soon as they opened it up, I went over, signed right up, tried out for their fight team. I, I trained there for about a year and a half, and then they offered me a job, and so I started working there, started coaching, and oh, then really? really started training. I had uh, I had three or four amateur fights, um, and was wanting to make a career out of it so i I decided okay i'm gonna i'll sign a contract for my first pro fight i was gonna fight on the showdown card in in uh at the uvu the mckay event center Mm -hmm. at the time Mm -hmm. i don't know is it still the mckay event center i don't know oh but yeah so yeah yeah, they had the big and at that time showdown fights was the fourth biggest organization in the ufc underneath uh oh my word organization in the united states under the ufc so it was a pretty big venue um, so I signed pro contract, uh, like two weeks out from fight week and, uh, we're just drilling regular takedowns, kind of farting around in practice, land funny on a takedown and tore my bicep tendon off the bone oh, out of my shoulder, the upper bicep tendon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I have surgery. They cut my, cut me open from my, in, in the middle of my armpit up to the top of my shoulder. They put two screws in and then I was out eight months. So I get healed up, go back, start training again, get feeling good. Okay, let's give it another shot. Sign, get ready, to sign another contract. Same thing, dude. We're warming Same up. Same thing. It's warming up, but we're not doing takedowns or anything. We were throwing medicine balls, like ten pound medicine balls, back and forth. And I picked this medicine ball up with my left hand, and uh, 
for the guys out there that watched MMA, uh, I'm having a conversation with Court McGee. Me and Court trained together. We're good friends. And uh, I picked this, this med ball up, and I went to throw it to my partner. We were doing one-handed pushes, and you had to alternate hands, dude. And as soon as I turned my hand over, I just felt this pop. And, oh, no. And it was in my left arm, same shoulder. So I tried to tough it out for a couple of weeks. Can't tough it out. My hand's going to sleep. It's just aching all the time. Go have an MRI. I've completely destroyed my, or just severed my rotator cuff. Oh. I mean, it was just, just gone. So I, I tried to tough it out. It went about six months, and uh, my range of motion was gone. I was still having pain. Finally decided to have surgery. They go in, and they're like, they're like we, don't, we don't have any idea how this all happened so fast, but your scar tissue is healed up so tight that we couldn't even really tell that there was a tear on your MRI until we got in there and cleaned everything out. And then we realized oh, that your word. rotator cuts way worse than we thought. So they put uh, three more screws in the top of my shoulder and then put that mesh material in and sewed me up. And, and then after that, they said, you might want to you might want to hang it up because you'll probably be the youngest guy in history to ever have a shoulder transplant, to have an artificial joint because there's nothing holding anything together. Oh my word. And it was all from just picking up a 10 pound medicine ball. I just picked it up and it just came just, apart. It just came apart. So Has that messed with your big artery? Time, big time. Yeah. So after I had, I had surgery, um, was in a sling like 12 weeks. Had to sleep in a lazy boy chair sitting up. Just if I could oh, go back and redo word. it, I never would have done it. Right. I'd have just toughed it out being crippled, but cause I'm still crippled now. But, um, yeah. So after that, I quit, I quit fighting, trained a little bit, still helped my buddies get ready for fights. You know, I traveled all over and trained with multiple UFC champions, other organizations and stuff. And, um, and then, uh, kind of just petered out from there. Now, how did how did you? Because when I met you several years ago, you were um, working at a troubled youth facility in Spanish Fork, and you got a bunch of bed rolls yeah. for for the boys there. But how did you transition from fighting to working with troubled youth? Because yeah. um, Different careers, yeah, big time. So, one hundred percent opposite yeah. direction, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I was still coaching, still training a little bit, helping pe- helping guys get ready, um, and I just wasn't my heart wasn't in it anymore because I couldn't, I, yeah, I wasn't you couldn't participate. I couldn't really yeah. participate, but I still loved coaching, and uh, I got to looking on Craigslist at the time, and I saw an ad that said maintain safety between staff and clients. So. Right then in my head, I'm like, sweet, maybe like a bodyguard or a security guard or something. I could, I could still whoop the average dude. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I apply for it, not knowing much about it and come to find out it's with troubled youth. So it was with a, a boys home out in Mona. And so I go out there interview and my interview didn't go good. Like I, I gave them all the, all the stuff they wanted to hear, but their biggest thing was, is the fact that I had been fighting was a fighter and my ears. They thought that, that me having that fighting background was going to be bad that like some because kid would influence the boys to no, fight like some or? kid, no. So like some kid, somebody would piss me off and then I would just beat, beat the brakes off some kid. Yeah. I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like I, like 
I have really good self-control. I, I, it takes a lot to get me worked up, right? Especially with the kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I went out there first three weeks. I freaking hated it. I hated it so bad. I felt like I was just working in a daycare. It was so babysitting. just babysitting. I'm like, this is so stupid. And uh, I tried looking for some other jobs. Nobody was really hiring at the time. I'm like, I'll just stick it here until I find something I want to do. And I don't know what clicked, but it was like at like the two month mark. I was like, I love this. I feel like That's I'm crazy. It's like, it's kind of like coaching fighting and, but a little bit different, but I still get to use the same techniques and I'm making a difference. Are the, are the youth you're working with then, <clears throat> was it may, mainly like kids that are in and out of foster care or are they like struggling with drug and alcohol addictions or what were you? Yeah. So the boys down there, they were, um, state custody kids and some of them were in foster care, but most of the time, um, like when the state steps in, they pull you up, they, they take you out of your parents' custody and then you now belong to the state until you either go back or they decide what they're going to do with you. But most of these kids down there, um, some, we had some kids that had gang issues, some that had drug issues, but most of them had been like abandoned, neglected, abused, molested, perpetrated on. And then that's where all their problems had stemmed from. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, so I was there for a while, a um, couple years and then transitioned to a place in Spanish. Um, and that's where I met you guys. And it was the same thing, same type of dynamic kids. I just didn't have to drive as far. In fact, I only had to drive like four blocks to work Sweet. from where I lived. So it worked out pretty that's good. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I transitioned there and I was there for five years as the assistant program director. And that's how I, I ran into met, well, I first started talking. Was it you or your dad? I first um, started talking it was, to your dad. It was, I think, initially through me yeah, on, Instagram, on, the, on Instagram, and then you and called my dad and and pretty much worked through. My yeah, dad we wrapped for a while. We we, uh, we talked to you guys up at the expo the one yep. year. I think it was like yep. the first year you guys were actually up there. Yeah, because we had the Sonoma bed rolls, and we thought those things were just the coolest thing ever until we saw these, and we're like, "Wait, these cover you? <laughs> Wait a minute." Yeah. So, yeah. So. Um, so I get up there to that boy's home in Spanish. And, uh, at the time I was still pretty good buddies with Eric Chester, Eric Chester of Hush. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I saw that they were doing their little movie premiere thing and, uh, I just sent him a message and that's actually kind of a funny story how he met Eric Chester too. I'll tell you that. But, uh, so, uh. Uh, I reach out to Eric. I'm like, hey, would you guys be willing to just come down? And I wasn't even looking for the donation part. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, would you guys just be willing to come down and do some, like, motivational speaking to some some kids that could use it? And Eric's like, yeah, man, that's we could do that definitely. So for original plan, it was just the Hush Boys coming down to talk, and then all of a sudden I get a message, the Mountain Ops guys are coming. Oh, cool. Okay, all of a sudden Chad Mendez is coming. Chad Mendez rolls up and then out of the blue, here come the Bomars. They got the Bomars to come in too. So we do this huge barbecue. Uh, we're shooting recurve bows mm-hmm. in the in the side yard doing this barbecue. They give us a big motivational speech, all of them talking about how hard they've worked to get where they're at and you know, just because you were dealt a certain certain hand, you can always turn you know mm-hmm. get a better hand like in poker right so and a lot of these kids they don't 
they don't think that way. They just think, oh, my life sucks, my so life it's going to suck the rest yeah. away. But, no, little do you know, you actually apply yourself, you can actually do something with your life. Which has got to be a hard switch to make, though, in their brain. Yeah. Because their life has sucked really bad. Yeah. And they've experienced, like, really awful things. And in proportion to the amount of time they've lived, yeah, that's, like, their life. So to see that there's many years ahead and that it could be way different yeah. has to be a hard thing to recognize for them. Yeah. I just, I just, some of those kids, I wish you could just, I don't like. Just get them to see the vision. Yeah. Or just like show them a little bit in the future. Yeah. Like, Hey, look, if you actually applied and applied yourself in school, you might could get some scholarships and you could go to college for free. Yeah. The state. If you're in state custody, the state will pay for you to go to school. They'll give you an allotted amount of money for a place to live. They'll buy you a car. All you got to do is just stay out of trouble. But you can't seem to do that. Yeah. So. Crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, or if you want to, if you want to earn money, if you want to have money, you got to go out and get a job. That's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. How that works. You can always, you can always fold and get another hand. Yeah. But you don't have to be stuck with the hand that you were dealt with, originally dealt with. I know that struggle from teaching teenagers for years. It's just like. If you could just show them a little bit ahead and what their life would be like if they applied those things, yeah, man, it'd make all the difference. Yeah, but you got to get them to buy in somehow. Yeah, but you have this what's supposed to be just a a small, well, not small, but just an experience with Hush turns yeah. into something so much bigger. Great barbecue. Having these motivational speakers. Yeah, they bring down a bunch of swag, load the kids up. We got in trouble because Mountain Ops loaded them up with a whole bunch of Ignite. And so (laughs) that next day, we got 16 kids that have like ADD and ADHD just bouncing off the walls from all the pre-workout Mountain Ops (laughs) gave to them. And we... Like, I, it didn't even dawn on me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, sure, drink them. They're good. I like it. And all of a sudden, my boss and the therapists come in they're like well kids are out of control what did you guys do and i'm like oh uh, sorry <laughs> so that though timmy over there's got 500 milligrams of caffeine in them and they're not allowed to have caffeine mm. while they're in the facility so you know yeah <laughs> but no the kids loved it dude and then uh, a couple weeks later uh bmac sends me a message hey dude we're doing the movie premiere and we want to donate our earnings from the the movie premiering from the giveaway to you guys. Oh my word. Yeah. So, so they come down and they shot a video with us. I remember it was like the hunting communities, hunting community is the best community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then after that, we went up and did the movie premiere and, and, um, we get up there, stellar movie, tons of giveaways. And then Hoyt comes in and gives us like six recurve bows. They donate recurve bows to the facility. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and then I think Hush raised like just over 10 grand for us. Mm-hmm. So we get the check, trying to figure out what to do with it. And we had this old Quonset hut on the building that was just, my boss at the time was a hoarder, dude. He just, there were like <laughs> 95 truck tires in there and you just never knew out and of that pile, you, you might, a yeah, one tire. of those tires might fit one of the 30 vehicles we have up there. So. So I finally talk him into like just cleaning it out. I'm like, dude, there's so much potential in there we can we can work with. He's like, what do you got in mind? And I said, well, let's turn it into a wood shop. I like I like woodworking. Come mm-hmm. from a woodworking background. Right out of high school, while I was training, trying to figure out the fight thing, I framed houses. 
And my dad's always been the type that he's not going to pay anybody to do it when right, he can do it. He can so, do it and my dad framed too. Um, so I got a little bit of woodworking knowledge. I mean, I did wood shop in high school, but I never thought I would turn it into what I'm trying to do with it right now. Mm-hmm. But so we get, we take that money and, uh, it's like a, I don't know, 60 by 20 Kwanzaa hut. It's pretty big. It's got a dirt floor in it. So me and boys spend like three months with shovels and picks and we dig that wood floor or that dirt floor out and pulled in, uh, we dug a trench over to the house, pulled in electrical wire. We used some of that money to buy the conduit, pulled the wire in. And then, uh, we paid for an electrician to come wire it in. And then Geneva rock, they actually, my dad works for Geneva, but, um, this is kind of how it came about, you know, a little bit of telling what we were doing. Geneva rock donated 30 yards of concrete to us. Oh my word. That's awesome. Yeah. So we poured a concrete floor in it, put electrical in it. And then Nebo school district comes out of nowhere and they're like, Hey, we like what you guys are trying to do. We're going to donate all the woodworking tools. You're kidding. Yeah. Planer, edger. I mean, we had a lathe, a huge cabinet saw. I mean, just anything you needed. Two big band saws. I mean, it was it was a sweet shop. And awesome. uh, we get it all set up. Like three weeks after we get it set up, the state comes in and says. And the boys are using it. They're making yep. things. They made, you guys made us that sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we made that sign. Um, like they were limited on what they could use. I mean, we'd get shut down if a boy run his hand through the table saw and yeah, cut some fingers yeah. off. But so I just did all the cutting. But they did glue and nail. And sometimes I'd let the little more responsible kids run the chop saw, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So yeah, we built you guys that sign to say thanks. But that that came after you guys donated some bedrolls to us. But yeah, well, you were trying to do like a little outdoor thing, with yeah, them so, too, right, to get them out. And- yeah, so we after after the whole wood shop thing, the state comes in and says, okay kids can't be around the tools anymore it's too big of a safety hazard so i'm like oh great we just wasted all this time all the all the money donations donations. yeah we can't use any of it mike so what are we gonna do so um my boss he was like hey you know since you did all this work you can if you want to use the wood shop whenever you want feel free i don't care like cool so i started just building barnwood picture frames and stuff out of it we sell them we made um like uh porch decorations christmas decorations Mm -hmm. um painted like santa stop here barnwood signs with the kids and then we started making um had a whole bunch of old four by fours and we painted them to make them look like fireworks and then the one the one office administrator she would tie nice fancy bows on it and then we'd take wire and run it around a pencil and put a little twist in it and make it look like a little fancy uh fuse mm-hmm. yeah and we sold those and made a bunch of money and then uh we took that money and i reached out to you guys because we were trying to figure out we wanted to start like a little wilderness program with these kids where we could yeah. just go get get some of them out of the house away from tv just away from everything where they had no nobody to put a show on for mm. or no drama where they could just be themselves and and we could do some work with them that way so uh first time we took them they're sleeping under tarps and we're sleeping in a tent and i'm like eh, we gotta find something better than this this sucks um so that was about the time you guys had just started coming yep. out so yep. we see you guys up at the expo i talked to your dad a little bit and then i go back start talking to my boss and he's like yeah those look really sweet and i'm like well I don't know if we can afford them, but I don't know. Let me see if they'll let me like 
buy a couple at discount or something. So I messaged you guys. I ended up buying two from you with the money that we had used um, from selling fireworks and stuff. And some of that money too, we also took and turned around and donated to Nebel School District's homeless. Oh wow! And I didn't realize how many actually homeless kids there are in Nebel School District. It is. It is like terrible yeah that that even exists yeah it just blows my mind when i find that stuff out i'm like what what in the heck but what is going on yeah so we took some of that money we bought two and when i went over there to buy two your dad was like hey we got some factory seconds that the Mm -hmm. logos are jacked up on or they're missing a strap or they don't have the rain flaps on if you want them you can have them and i'm like oh yes we want them so he gave me i think he gave me like six or seven of them yeah and so we took those and uh, we used them probably 10 or 15 times. We, we were only allowed to go for, for one night. That's the only way the state would let us take these kids. Um, but, yeah, we would go up for a night. Sometimes we'd What's come, the reasoning behind that? Just liability. Of them, like, running away? Or running like, or there's no... An accident happened. No cameras, no oh, case yeah. of false accusations, right. that kind of yeah. stuff. But yeah. and we never had any kids run or anything like that. In fact... They just turned into regular teenage people. boys playing. Yeah, people playing up in the mountains. I mean, it was it was an awesome, awesome experience. Something to watch to watch these kids just like flip a whole one eighty from how they usually act from in the house to what they're doing. But but yeah, we just had those bed rolls. We didn't have any pole kids for them, so mm-hmm. we just zip the kids up in them. <laughs> they just look like a mummy laying there. But yeah, we used it. We we would go up on a on a Friday, Saturday, come home, and then the next weekend do it right again, and then the next That's weekend awesome. go again. And so it actually worked out really good. Um, but yeah, and then uh, I just stayed in contact, just touched yep. with you and your dad, and your dad actually donated a couple more to us to where we could take all the boys out and. Uh, that's pretty much how we, we grew, that's awesome. you know, grew that you, relationship. You you worked there up until a couple years ago? Yeah, so like it was just two years ago. Like with all the things the state was doing to legislate everything you guys did, it was becoming not as productive of a program or Yeah, like we were just getting like we would get kids that weren't right for the program and they call them program wreckers. I mean, and it's, it's a huge liability to have kids that are hard to deal with because at the time, I mean, this sounds bad, but like we could put finger cuffs on a kid, like make him hug a tree and put finger cuffs on him and then leave him there until he, until he wanted to cooperate or he wasn't going to destroy the facility or try to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I don't, really condone that but sometimes it worked really good with some violent kids and all it was was like a chinese finger trap yeah and we're not we didn't leave them like out in the sun i mean we'd make (laughs) we'd have somebody out there with them they'd be in the shade we'd take them lunch um but like yeah and then the state came in and they're like you can't do this that's that's neglect that's abuse and i'm like have you seen what some of these kids do I mean, I I got stabbed in the quad with a homemade shank a kid took a, a kid took a uh spatula broke the head off, sharpened it down, locked himself in the bathroom. And up there, the last, the facility we're currently talking about, um, we worked with kids with moderate mental health. So we'd have kids that, I mean, they weren't like way bad mental health, but some of them were pretty bad, like enough that they were suicidal or they would, I mean, they would do whatever they had to do to try Mm -hmm. to get out of the the house. Um, But yeah, so 
we got this kid, just a gnarly kid to deal with, and he locks himself in the bathroom, not responding, not responding, and we have to give him a certain amount of time, and we give him like three opportunities to respond, then we have to assume they're doing something, they're harming themselves, or they tried to hang themselves. Mm-hmm. So we open the door, kid's sitting on the toilet, I'm like, hey, dude, no, he's just sitting on the toilet lid in his clothes. He's not pooping or anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I go in. I'm like, hey, dude, you got to come out. We got to be able to, you know, stuff's not going right, man. We got to figure out what's wrong with you. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not going. I'm like, no, nah, you got to come. So I reached down to grab him by his arm. He pulls that shank out of his waistband and stuck it right in my quad. Oh, my right word. There. Five stitches. Boom. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I've been, I've been bit. Had to get tetanus shots. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've. Had we had another kid hit a kid in the head with a shovel. Oh my I mean, word! Yeah, it's yeah, it's like being it, in prison sometimes. But it's not a secure facility. These these right. kids could come in and out and leave. They're supposed to be moderate mental health. Yeah, yeah. So getting getting a little intense, <laughs> little intense. But when we started doing the started doing the wilderness, it started started helping out. And, and you just they got shut this, that down. The state said no, you can't do that anymore. Too big of a liability. You don't have the right insurance for it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Then they come in, they start making more changes. Uh, no more, you can't escort a kid. You can't take a kid down. I'm like, so what do I do if a kid's violent with me? What if, I mean, I got punched in the face and they're like, and I got in trouble because I took him down. Didn't hurt him. Just took him down on the ground and just mm-hmm. held him there until I could get some backup. But I mean, meantime, I got a fat lip and a bloody nose. Yeah. And state comes in and says you can't do that anymore so i'm like okay well i'm what I'm, are you supposed what to am do? i doing what am i doing here if i can't you know make a difference some of these you know these kids need like appropriate butt kickings mm-hmm. and then they need the appropriate compassion and empathy to follow up right with that and they're changing how you can talk to them what you can and can't do with them so i said okay i'm out my left and i went to work for a big electrical company up in salt lake and was making really good money but i hated it all i could think about was was making a difference. Like my heart is with working with kids. So crazy. Yeah. So I, uh, sitting there at work one day and, uh, I'm like, you know what? I would, I would rather have a job that I love to go to and not make a bunch of money than make a bunch of money and be freaking miserable and hate what I have to wait, hate, hate working every day. Yeah. So, like two weeks after I start, I start thinking that I end up quitting and I go back to working with you. So youth, I'm at a different facility. Um, doing, I don't work with the kids as much, but I'm doing maintenance for the facility, but I get to have the kids help me. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, last couple of weeks, kids have been doing yard work with me. I had some help me re- remodel in bathrooms. Really? And yeah. It's, I like that way better. I don't have to deal with the kids as much. Or the the negative repercussions of dealing with an upset kid, but I still get to work with them. I still get to teach them. Uh, when they come work with me, we call it the art of manliness. And they, I feel like they learn, you know, that's awesome. How to shoot baseboard on, mm-hmm. or how to install a window, or hang door trim, and just finish work. That's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so good to learn too. Yeah, it's actually uh, applicable to life yeah. later on. Teach them some skills. Now, while you've been doing that. You also have kept up woodworking. Yeah. And recently, or maybe not so recently, but recently to my knowledge, you've you've started a small business yeah. that hopefully 
can grow. Yeah. I want it to grow selfishly, but um, called beef wood. Yeah. And you're doing a lot of awesome woodworking. You made our, our pedestals in yeah. here, and you also made our coffee table, all of which is incredible and, like, really brings the space together. Yeah. Super grateful for for all of them. But what what got you into that? Where did the name Beefwood come from? Because I think that's super awesome, Beefwood. <laughs> and uh, what are you hoping to do to do yeah. with it? Yeah, so uh, rewind to, I don't know, 15 years ago, some of the guys that I hunt with, maybe 20 years ago, um, last name Stewart, and one night on a late late night asphalt cowboy trip down south, my buddy calls me Beef Stew as a joke beef stew and it stuck all weekend and then years go by they're still calling me beef stew and then it changed to beefless stew (laughs) to stroganoff because of beef stroganoff and then now it's just stuck with beef and and you're saying like some of your buddy's kids like know you as beef yeah yeah so uh one of my very best friends his daughter she's three and she calls me uncle beef one of my uh, another buddy his dad only knows me as beef when he he called him one night when uh we were down there hunting and he's like hey who are you with and mart my buddy marty said well i'm with so-and-so and zach's here and marcus is like who the hell is zach and he's like it's beef and he's like wait he his real name isn't beef <laughs> I'm like, man, dude, I'd have some jacked up parents yeah, if they named me if beef. If they named you beef. Yeah. I mean, I could see it appropriate if I was a 280 pound man. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not that. So, but yeah, so that, that just kind of stuck. And, uh, um, back to the, the boys' home that we built the wood shop in, I, that's kind of where it started building picture frames. And then, um, I actually killed a limited entry bowl. Hmm. and uh, I wanted a barnwood wall pedestal to hang it on, and so I just kind of got farting around, and I built one, and uh, it actually turned out really good for my first one, and then uh, I started building, like, uh, nativity scenes hmm. out of out of barnwood. I wouldn't, do the, awesome. I wouldn't do the figures. It would just be the manger and stuff. Yeah. And then um, just family and friends started wanting more, and then I built some planter boxes, and then... I had somebody reach out and they're like, Hey, can you build a barnwood dog bed? I'm like, Oh, easy. So I build a dog bed and then I post a picture on Instagram. And then next thing I know, a couple of weeks later, I've got like three or four people wanting to know if I can do reclaimed wood walls. Yeah. So I've done a whole bunch of wood walls. In fact, I just started a huge wall today over if anybody knows Justin Finch at Finch mm-hmm. Outdoors. Dude's a freaking killing machine. He is. <laughs> and he's going to have one of the coolest reclaimed walls, just man caves in his garage. That so is so awesome. It's all half corrugated tin and then the rest going to be barn wood. Oh, so, man. yeah, but yeah, sweet. so I started doing that and then, um, and then just started having people asking me if I could build pedestals. And, uh, I said, yeah, I'll build you a pedestal, but under one condition, you got to just let me build what i want to build tell me give me some ideas of what you want mm. what you're thinking and then just let me have just free reign on just kind of making it my own and anybody that's done that with me is just so just awesome. loved it i mean I, so awesome like with the coffee table most guys that are around the top through the planer and knocked all the the character off of it no and way. no the the older the better i mean i run a i run a plastic bristle brush in my drill my drill down it and knock the snags off but 
for me, if you're paying for a barnwood pedestal, you want it to look old. Or if you yeah, want an accent wall, yeah, I mean, it's even when I do walls, I don't run everything through the table saw. I leave a little bit of gaps. I leave broken snags on it. Mm. And I mean, if you want it to look old, I'll make it look old. I mean, yeah, well, and they look so good too. Like, so good. I get compliments on all of them. Yeah. Everybody loves this coffee table. I, like even the little brass nails you put yeah. in. Like John earlier today is like, oh, those are sweet. The little brass nails. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, this coffee table, dude, I posted a picture of that and I had like 15 people message me asking me if that coffee table was for sale. I'm like, <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, sorry about that. But I, I built this. I didn't even use a tape measure. You're kidding me. No. I built, I built that pedestal and all I used a tape measure for was... Uh, just getting my height and width on, on the, the frame on the inside. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll, and it takes me a while, especially like, like wood walls or if I'm building a, like a big custom pedestal for somebody, dude, I'll go through piles and piles of wood and pick out stuff that I think will work, stuff that won't work. And then, like I said, I don't want to cut it and make it fit. I want it to fit there naturally. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it just, it's a process. So yeah, I, I'm like, when, when I get an order, I'm like, Hey, you got to give me, give some, me some, time. some time because I'm going to make it to where you're, you're happy with it. Yeah. So, and, and if you want it perfectly square and stuff, we might as well just go over to home Depot and get you some pre-cut stuff and save <laughs> you some time and, and money. Yeah. If you want to, you want a perfect wall, let's, uh, let's go over and get some free floating laminate floor and snap <laughs> it up on there and then just shoot it in with the finish nailer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, well, I love it. What are you hoping this becomes? a uh, bigger part of your life's journey or yeah i'm I'm of two minds about it i mean i would love because you're clearly loving like the effect and positive effect you can have on youth yeah or you wouldn't be doing it yeah and you're clearly passionate about this but it could take off to where this would consume your time like to do one takes so much time so if you got a ton of orders it, uh, yeah, if I could, if I could grow this to where, I mean, cause right now I'm doing it out of my garage mm-hmm. and then luckily the big boys home that I'm doing the maintenance for, they got a huge maintenance shop. That's all mine. It's got woodworking tools in it. And they said, Hey, you can come over here. But every time I'm over there, I'm always getting bugged by boys or <laughs> staff. So I got to shut the door, but my wife hates it at the house. Cause I do it inside the garage and she doesn't like all the sawdust. So then I got to move it out to the driveway and do it out in the middle of the day in the heat and just get mm-hmm. sunburnt. So, um, no, but the plan's always been to, to grow it into something. I don't want it to be huge, but I want it to be successful. Yeah. I mean, I want it to be like me and a couple other guys, if I can get it that big, mm-hmm. doing custom, custom, custom jobs. I mean, stuff that nobody's going to have. Yeah. I well, just don't, sweet. Yeah, I just don't want it to be just cookie cutter we're making the same coffee table in fact i have never built the same pedestal i have never built the same coffee table everything i do is something completely different and you also do like wall pedestals yeah i do wall pedestals like and nobody's doing wall pedestals like i do right now this the it's just a barnwood plaque and then it's got just i figured out the right angle Mm -hmm. like a 32 degree angle coming down so when that that elk head or that deer head sitting on it it looks like it's looking right at you. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and I built some of those, and I've been lately. I've been selling a lot because I I'll go find just old, gnarly, rotten barnwood that mm-hmm. has all the live edge with the lichen on it, 
and I'll cut the good edge off and throw the good edge in the garbage and use the old edge for the trim. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, like I said, I mean, the older, the dirtier, the rattier, the better. Yeah. I mean. Oh, it looks so good. And, like, if I was going to build a motorcycle, it would be Frankenstein out of parts, but it would run <laughs> like a champ. But, yeah. So that's that's what I do when I'm building pedestals and tables. I mean, I just, just the older, the uglier, the better. If people want to reach out to get a pedestal or maybe a coffee table or a wall pedestal, um, what's the best way through Instagram? Does Beefwood have an Instagram? Yeah, Beefwood has an Instagram. It's got like eighty-two followers. No, nah, that's I good. I just we just made a made an Instagram, and uh, I, I just that was about the time we decided the name of Beefwood. Um, is it is it at Beefwood? Yeah, at Beefwood. It's got my logo. It's just a. In fact, my logo on Instagram, I drew a picture of a beef cow. I should have done a beef bowl, a bowl. (laughs) I did a beef cow and then uh, did a little calligraphy woodwork or just uh, cursive in there, Mm -hmm. wood, and asked my wife if she thought it sounded cool or if the logo looked stupid. She said, no, it actually ties really good together. And then I asked some friends and said, hey, what do you think of beef wood? I, I I like building big stuff. I like using old barn wood and everybody said no that's perfect it was either that or the wood barber <laughs> and i like the wood barber great. too yeah. but now beef wood beef wood hits you. home it's yeah. a little more yeah. sentimental it's super personal and uh no i would love to grow it into something that i could just do that full time whether it's i'm building pedestals or custom furniture rec- you know wood walls mm-hmm. that's that's what I love doing. So if you guys are listening or watching this and you want to at least look into it, head over to Beefwood, yeah. check it out. Is the best way just to DM you? Yeah, shoot me a DM or look me up at They Call Me Beef on Instagram. <laughs> That's my personal page, and I post a lot of stuff there. Yeah. In fact, sometimes I forget about Beefwood because I've only got like 80 followers, and most people message me on my personal one. So, yeah, shoot me a message. Tell me what you want. and. Okay, we'll see if we awesome. can work something out. That's, Zach, dude, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for uh, the pedestals and coffee table. Hopefully yeah. we can get people headed your way too. Yeah. Get some I would more. Love that. I would love to build some more beefwood pedestals. So for get guys. over there, folks. I'm thinking I'm, if I can swing it and we can grow it, I would love to build some stuff, some pre-built stuff, and take it up to the expo and have a booth. Yeah. Especially wall pedestals. You guys oh, should yeah. get on and see my Euro pedestals. Nobody's yeah, building them will. like I do. I did uh, I did two for two big ram skulls, and uh, I used real sandstone. You're kidding me. No, I, I used, I used like, we did the math, and the, the barn that we tore down was probably maybe 120 years old. And the wood that I used had phenomenal termite tunnels in it. And then uh, I went up, went up the canyon, and I got a big, nice, square, chunk piece of sandstone. And I cut it in half and grinded it down smooth. And, I mean, you, it's not foam with hard-coated. You're getting real, yeah, real stuff. Real stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so. Well, thank you for coming on. Everybody go check out Beefwood. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we can get you back. Yeah. With some more hunts. And check up uh, an update on Beefwood, how things are going. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, man. Thank you. Zach, thank you again for coming on the CutterCast vlogcast, and thank you for blessing our lives 
with your amazing talents and turning the Canvas Cutter Studio into something that feels delightful to be in and delightful to look at. And thank you all for watching or listening wherever you might be. If you would do me a huge favor, if you'd go check out the Beefwood and They Call Me Beef Instagram pages, go ahead and give them a follow. And please, if you like what you see there, hit up Zach or Beef in the DMs and get yourself a pedestal or coffee table, a wall pedestal, maybe a little custom project done. He does amazing work, you're gonna love it. And as always, until I see you next time, bye.